This is Neil Erwitz. I'm the Director of External Relations here at the Center for a New American Security. 68 nations are going to be represented at a ministerial, a foreign minister level meeting to discuss uh, the future of ISIS, Syria, Iraq, and how the uh, world can deal with this continuing pressing issue. We have here from our uh, Middle East Security Program, Alon Goldenberg and Nick Harris, to really jump in and tell us uh, about what's going on and what should be going on. Um, so, Alon, you're uh, a little concerned about the shape of this ministerial, the shape of what could be coming out of it. Can you tell us what some of your worries are? Sure, sure. Um, so this is a big deal, this ministerial because it's the first time under the Trump administration that you're getting these 68 countries together uh, to really discuss strategy towards ISIS, which you know, President Trump has said is his number one foreign policy priority right now. So I'll start with, I am concerned about a bunch of things, but I'll start with the good news. <laughs> the good news is the military strategy is going well. Uh, you know, we're making progress in knocking ISIS out of Mosul. It's gonna take time to get to Raqqa. But the battlefield keeps shrinking. ISIS's capacity to strike keeps shrinking. All those things are going well. And while there's still a review ongoing inside the Trump administration, I don't expect that you're going to see dramatic shifts in policy and changes from the overall approach the Obama administration used of sort of going by, with, and through partners, i.e. enabling people on the ground. So like the but Kurds. And exactly. The Kurds, the, the, some of the various Sunni groups working with various external actors, working with the Iraqi security forces. There might be a change. There might be some subtle changes in who we support to take what territory, but you're not going to see the model isn't changing. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is: the question has always been what comes afterwards. Because if we wanted to, we could just 50,000 troops, 100,000 troops, we could retake all of ISIS-held territory very quickly. The question is what can be sustainable and left afterwards. And this is where I'm concerned with what the Trump administration is doing. It's a couple of worrying signs. One is when you talk to some of the folks who have been coming into town and. Washington DC is floating with representatives from all these countries right now, and you have diplomats everywhere preparing their bosses, talking points for this, so you have an opportunity to talk to people this week, and they'll all tell you, wow, the prep material is really focused on the military portion, not on the diplomatic, not on everything else, uh, and that's pretty worrying because the last time we had one of these meetings, we've had a number of them, but usually the Obama administration focused much more heavily on what comes after you defeat ISIS militarily? What is the plan for reconstruction? What is the plan for uh, humanitarian aid? Those types of things, governance, because that's the real challenge. Mm -hmm. you know, that's how we make sure that a few years from now we're not just dealing with a new version of ISIS. And the way we dealt with Al-Qaeda in Iraq a few years ago and that morphed into yes. ISIS, etc. Exactly. ISIS is just Al-Qaeda in Iraq 2.0. And we just got to make sure we're not looking at Al-Qaeda in Iraq 3.0 a few years from now. And so the Trump administration seems to be focusing too heavily on the military. Um, in their budget that they just released, they have zero dollars for reconstruction and development in Iraq for next year. That's a huge problem. They're just assuming other, other countries are gonna deal with that. Other countries are not gonna deal with that on their own. Uh, for two reasons. One is if we start dramatically cutting our aid across the board, which is what the budget proposes, other countries are not gonna say, oh, okay, the United States cares the most about ISIS and Syria and Iraq, so we're just gonna put all our money there to replace the money that the US is pulling out. No, they're gonna distribute their money across the board of their own priorities at the, in the UN system and elsewhere. And so, unless we lead, others are not gonna follow with their priorities on this. And would they get the sense then that, then this is for both of you, that this is not a priority for uh, 
for the U.S. if we pull out all of our money for reconstruction? Um, I think what they will do is they'll get the sense it's not a priority or they'll get the sense that this administration just doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. And you know, on top of that, even if let's say they even do step in, we have the unique ability to play this convening role and this streamlining role that nobody else can. So if 68 other countries are pouring money into this, there's it, it's going to be a mess as opposed to having the United States as the only real convener. And so this, I think, these are the the big concerns, uh, at least that I have in terms of in terms of where things might be going. So Nick, let's move from what seems to be going wrong right now to what an ideal solution looks like. What should the U.S. and its partners be doing now? So fundamentally, the U.S. under the Trump administration should understand that although the geographic space in eastern Syria and western Iraq where ISIS has had its would-be caliphate uh, is linked together, that the approach in both, er both Iraq and Syria will be different. In Iraq, fundamentally, the U.S. needs to be engaged. The U.S. needs to exert diplomatic influence to get the various Iraqi parties to come to some form of power sharing agreements and to investigate opportunities to work by, with, and through the Iraqi security forces, particularly the non-sectarian elements of the Iraqi security forces, and to be there to provide sustained support to build up local security organizations in these areas that used to be controlled by ISIS in order to make them able to resist the re-emergence of ISIS. And that's very important because until you have sustained security and stabilization in these areas in Iraq, you risk a third, a fourth, or a fifth uh, version of ISIS that will challenge the security of Iraq, a very core a very core and important country for Gulf stability for the foreseeable future. And Syria? And in Syria, the dynamic is interesting because in Syria, the al-Assad government and its Russian and Iranian partners do not have the manpower to conquer and then stabilize areas of central and eastern Syria that are under the control of ISIS. The U.S. NATO partner Turkey has a small force, the Euphrates Shield Zone, that may potentially have the capability, but would require significant U.S. support and is outpositioned by the primary vehicle for the United States military to wage the counter-ISIS campaign in Syria, which is the multi-ethnic, although still Kurdish majority, Syrian Democratic Forces Coalition. And, you know, one dilemma that the Trump administration could have very quickly is that through the Syrian Democratic Forces Coalition and the increase in number of U.S. troops on the ground support in the Syrian Democratic Forces Coalition. It will be in at the death of ISIS and its wood, uh, putative capital of Raqqa and in at the death of ISIS and other areas of the lower Euphrates and the Syrian Iraqi border region, having conquered these areas from ISIS and not having a plan on how to stabilize these areas and how to provide local governance and security structures that will ensure that the U.S. does not have to be there on the ground in eastern Syria for an indefinite period of time. Now, I'm very concerned that we could be in a process now of a potential indefinite American military mandate in Syria that will go against the campaign promises of the Trump campaign. Well, and that the American public probably won't put up with. Um, then what does the solution look like? What does that power sharing arrangement that, that you mentioned in, in uh, eastern Syria look like? Fundamentally 
specifically in eastern Syria, the United States should come to an agreement with their Turk with the Turkish partners on how to administer Raqqa, how to create an effective inclusive and representative local council that can be supported by the United States and Turkey and other partners, whether from the Gulf Arab countries or, or, or in Europe and more broadly, in order to stabilize Raqqa. Further east, in, in the Syrian-Iraqi border region, where ISIS will try to withdraw and will try to maintain, create a third capital in the city of Deir el-Zor, it is likely that the U.S., through the Syrian Democratic Forces Coalition, will be the conquering force. And there, it is very important to build out a structure by which local Sunni Arab actors feel that they have enough autonomy and are empowered in a way that they can jumpstart their local economies and their local security presence so as to make those areas resilient against the resurgence of ISIS because fundamentally the Assad government and its allies do, will not have the presence and the force to take those areas. Can I hop in here with sure. a couple of points um, that I just want to react to? One is, you know, I think, you know, Nick's talking about the political settlement for Iraq and eastern Syria, western Iraq and ISIS-held territory, but it is part of a broader political settlement for all of Syria that fundamentally we're actually working on doing some work on uh, together nice thinking plug. about, you know, basically having different areas and zones of control throughout the country. At this point, you know, Assad, the Iranians, and the Russians hold a large chunk in the middle. In the south, there's a group we can work with that, uh, that, that's on the Jordanian-Israeli border. In the north, the Turks have a piece of territory. There's an area controlled by al-Qaeda that we need to work together to take out. There's a Kurdish area. There's ISIS-held area. You can see almost the outlines of a deal coming into place for all of Syria that basically says, here's how we're going to divide it all up. We're not going to physically divide the territory, but here's who controls what. Let's take out the bad guys in ISIS and al-Qaeda, and let's work on some kind of a long-term negotiated outcome where you have a weak central government and power dispersed. Um, one other thing, just on this question of American forces, I think we make a mistake by saying we're going to go back to zero. Actually, mm -hmm. I think this is one of the big lessons from Iraq. I think that the American public is totally not willing to accept 100,000 Americans in Iraq and Syria taking large numbers of casualties in perpetuity. Not going to happen. I think the American public would probably be fine with five or 10,000 Americans potentially in Iraq for the next, in Syria for the next 20 or 30 years. Low visibility, low numbers of casualties. It's what we do in other peacekeeping missions across the globe. As long as we don't have huge expenditures, I don't think we want to go back to zero because that's when a situation that creates much more vulnerability for a new ISIS and then having to go back in and do this all over again in a big way. And I want to build off this excellent point that Elon makes here is that when you look at sort of where, you know, when we hear about the debate that's that's ongoing with the Trump administration, you see there's sort of a, a push and pull, a tug of war between some folks on the National Security Council and some folks in the U.S. military about what do you do if you're in at the death of ISIS and you're the U.S. and you've empowered local actors to, to defeat ISIS and you want to help them stabilize those areas and prevent them from falling back to ISIS. How do you reach the appropriate U.S. force presence and the appropriate investment in U.S. civilian agencies to really help prevent ISIS from moving into what they call that gray zone, that space between war and peace when you're trying to stabilize an area and you have the potential for an active insurgency? How do you reach that? Because if you don't win that space between war and peace, if you don't come to bring in some authority into that gray 
gray zone, you would be forced to continue to return to the area time after time after time. And so the, I would say that the Trump administration has to think very long and hard about how it can use the platform that's built of local partners, both in Iraq and Syria, to then be able to go and to take in the space between war and peace and to bring some color to the gray zone. Because otherwise, we could see this, this act play out time and time again. Yeah, and all of that requires a budget for basically the types of things that they're looking to slash pretty dramatically. Like for the State Department? Yes, and exactly. Well, it sounds like we're going to be able to discuss this for 10, 20, 30 years. So <laughs> I'm <not>. sure <laughs> we're going to be uh, back and talking about it soon. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks. you.